You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Well, this morning, uh, as I mentioned before, we have an, an exciting Sunday because I asked uh, two fine uh, fathers to come and to share a little bit about um, an, an experience that they had with their father, something their father taught them uh, correlates to something that they learned about God. And so I'm really excited about this. I really believe the Lord put on my heart a couple of things that we're going to do. We're going to pray for dads, and, and at the end of today, we're also going to pray something that the Lord put on my heart. We're going to pray for physical healing, okay? So if you're in that place where you need a touch from the Lord, a supernatural touch, a miraculous touch in an area of your body, we want to pray for you, okay? And we're just going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and go with that and see what God does. It's going to be exciting. And so I believe today is just going to be a great day, a lot of fun, uh, some, uh, hopefully some, uh, some fun stories and some good stories um, that will encourage you and bless you. Dads, we want to bless you, but we want to bless every one of you. And all of these things that we learn, we have to give and point back to Jesus Christ, okay? And I know that to be true, that as good as my dad was, he was not good apart from Jesus Christ. And so in that, we have that shared truth, that wonderful um, truth that we come together as a family of God, knowing that we share that same Father, okay? So will you guys help me honor um, a, a man who I love dearly, who's one of our elders and somebody I just... I look up to uh, Ronnie Sasser. Come on up, Ronnie. Just about everybody remembers Cliff Notes. How do you jam? Well, my dad is 101 years old. He was born, if you do the math, 1918. Uh, still, still alive. Uh, I won't tell you how old I am, but how do you jam that much time uh, into 10 minutes? Uh, you can't do it. That's all I like the cliff notes. You, you, can't, you can't take Jane Eyre and, and shove her into the cliff notes and, and pass. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, I failed it. So, so I, I, am, I, I wrote a few things down and just like to hit the highlights of, of my dad and the experiences that uh, we had and he shared with us. Uh, Dad was born in Mississippi on a small farm, and he was raised on a, on a dairy farm. And like a lot of people, uh, he got up way before daylight, rain or shine, hot or cold, and he had to milk the cows, do the chores around, actually walk five miles to school, uh, rain or snow, but that, that, that was... That was dad and, and his uh, siblings. Uh, at 17 years old, dad had graduated from high school. I think, my, my, I think there might have been 10 or 12 in the school. Uh, things got tough. Uh, his older brother had left, had come down here, found a job, and dad, after high school, came down here, tried to find work. The only thing he could find was he drove another person's car for guys that worked for Texaco. And he, he drove the shifts. He'd have to get up early in the morning, get the car, pick up the guys, drop them off, and then in the afternoon he had to make the same run again uh, for 
I, I don't know how many years, but finally he did get on with Texaco Asphalt Refinery down here uh, and, and worked there until he retired. My dad didn't drink uh, alcohol, excuse me, uh, mainly because one day his father, which used to drink, came in, fell down in the front yard of their house, face down, dead met him, picked all the dirt, rocks, and stuff out of his face as a drunkard. Swore he'd never touch alcohol. That was my dad. Dad smoked up until I think I figured the math about 45 years old. One day he was sitting there at the house. My brother walks up in the I remember in a had a picnic table in the back. Brother walks up and had a cigar in his mouth. Dad was upset. He said, son, put that cigar down. He said, dad, when you put the cigarettes up, I'll put the cigar down. Dad never smoked again. So the influence that he had on our lives, tremendous. Dad was, or my family, dad was very active in church. Um, matter of fact, so active every Sunday evening, and, and we grew up here in Port Natchez on Montrose Street. Uh, every Sunday evening, we had a, a sandlot football game, baseball game, whatever was going on for that season, we did it. Well, all the other kids in the neighborhood, they didn't go to church on Sunday night. But being good Baptists, we always did. Well, come about 4.30 or 5 o'clock, about in the middle of the game, Ronnie was involved in the game. He didn't want to come home. I could hear the whistle, but I never came. I got my butt tore up every Sunday night. <laughs> I, I was going to church regardless. Never, never did learn. <laughs> Just a few of the things that uh, Dad did as uh, being a, uh, a deacon in the church, Sunday school teacher. Uh, he was a uh, city councilman, Port Natchez, mayor. Uh, after that, he decided the Lord called him to, to surrender to preach, so he was a, a part-time pastor, had two or three churches and uh, ministered to Andy's family. Uh, love the Lord and love people. Uh, my brother was a missionary and dad always followed his, his heart and, and, and his family and our, our desires too. Um, my brother went to Costa Rica for language school. Dad and mother went to visit him in Costa Rica. It wasn't easy, but he, he wanted to see him and meet him. Um, my brother had heard about, in, in, and I don't, I don't remember how it was, but he heard about 
uh, them needing a minister at Thorn Crown Chapel in um, Eureka Springs. I don't know, if, has anyone ever been there? Few people have. Uh, they were building the church. We went up there, watched it build. Yeah, beautiful. Up. If you ever go, you need to go there. Uh, but Dad went as the opening pastor uh, for that Thorn Crown Chapel. It was just a, it was a prayer chapel, um, wedding chapel, whatever. But there was one problem. The, the man that built it on, with his own money was a multimillionaire, and he just wanted, he felt like uh, he needed to build something for the Lord, and he built this thing, but it was his church. And Dad being there, uh, people coming in, he'd want to talk to him, minister to him. Well, the man said, no, Mr. Sasser, said, uh, I don't want you to do that. So you just be there, said, if they need you, then, then that's one thing. Said, but you don't, you don't need to be spending all this time with them. And, uh, and Dad said, the Lord called me to minister to people. So I got a call one evening. Son, come get me. His heart was a minister. We packed up our stuff that evening. Went up, drove up to Thorn Crown Chapel, picked Mother and Dad up, loaded them up. Brought him back home. But that was his heart, his desire. He actually took Charlotte, when I went into the service, uh, military, stationed uh, basic training in Fort uh, Campbell, Kentucky, and we were newlyweds. He brought Charlotte to see me up there while we were in basic training, snuck off the base and spent a night with her. And had to get back. Almost got court-martialed over that one. But uh, it was still fun, though. <laughs> but Dad was willing to do anything. I mean, he was a, a Mr. Fix-It. Uh, we, we built a house uh, there on 12th Street in Port Natchez. He'd work on all of his cars. He didn't, of course, he's like me. He would save a dollar and spend a hundred dollars to get it fixed. You know, I mean, that's just, that's, that's the way we work. Uh, he was willing to try anything. Uh, this is about dad, but I, I, I tell you, a lot of things he did was because I asked him to, or, or we, we wanted to do things together. Um, and as a family, uh, one year we decided to go skiing. And I think if I did the math right on that one, I think he was around 70 when we went skiing up at uh, Monarch Pass. Uh, he and mother. Well, dad decided he was going to ski. Never been on skis, nothing. Cold, it was minus 37 degrees, freezing, couldn't hardly see. So he gets on his skis, we get on the bunny slope, and we're trying to teach him how to do it, you know, and got him up there. And I'll, I'll never forget this. He fell two or three times, two or three times, and finally he got up and he said, look, son, look, son, I'm skiing, I'm skiing. Well, I never had the heart to tell him. The ski lift was moving, but he wasn't. <laughs> but he, he thought he was going, you know, so that was, that was a blast. Uh, 
Dad also uh, bought uh, some property up in Hillister, around Woodville. Uh, I guess our happiest times was up there, spending uh, with him and our, our kids. Uh, our, our grandkids weren't able to share that, but our kids were. Uh, I say happy memories, but I'm going to tell you, it was work. Dad, he, I don't know, we, well, at Thorn Crown Chapel, he picked blueberries up there. So he decided when he got back here, he was going to have a blueberry farm. So he planted an acre of blueberries. That's work, people. Uh, we picked peas. We picked beans. We picked corn. He decided to have him a, a catfish uh, pond. Dug a catfish pond. Cleaned that thing out. Cut wood. Years we, we, we spent up there, but enjoyed it. Hunted uh, around the area. He was my partner in hunting and fishing up until two years ago. Dad's still alive, but, but he's just not able to physically now. Uh, but we've, we've had some good times together. We have spent quality time together, many of hours traveling to and from the lake fishing or to and from uh, someplace hunting together. Uh, and, and those are times that uh, I cherish. But you know, the, the, we would go camping and go fishing. Dad never fished or hunted on Sunday. He'd always sit at the camp. And they'd, I'd go, but dad, dad wouldn't. He honored the Lord that much and respected. And that's, that's the legacy my father has left me and my family. Thank you, Ronnie. That's that amazing. I, I love um, Paul Paul Sass because, uh, as Ronnie mentioned, um, there's, if I do the math right, I'm, it's not that difficult, I guess, but uh, there's four generations, right? Paul Paul Sass, you, the guy next to you, and, and hopefully your kids love Jesus, right, Chad? Um, and uh, that's four generations. And in and, and my wife's family and in my family, there's three generations, but the significance that Paul Paul Sass had in my family was that my um, both of my wife's parents grew up in, in uh, very, very bad apartments that have since been destroyed in back of Port Natchez, and they were very poor. And my, my dad had, um, and my brother-in-law Josh is going to come up and speak, I'm sure he's going to share some of this, but had eight brothers, he was one of eight siblings with a single mom. And Paul Paul Sass went out there on a regular basis and spoke to those kids about Jesus. And my father-in-law and my mother-in-law heard the seed was planted so that when the day came for that to spring into harvest, the Lord saved them. And so when I think about Paul Paul Sass, I think about a man who was committed to the Lord. A man who loved, didn't just love people, but loved the Lord and was faithful in the smallest things. And for that... I honestly honor and thank him. So, all right. Josh, come on up here, brother.
So Ronnie and I had a little agreement this morning where I said, look, don't go up there and make everybody laugh and cry and do a great job, then I have to come up and follow you. So thanks for not uh, holding up your end. Um, you know, I'm actually not going to do all that background, but, um, you know, because sort of like what Ronnie was saying when, I, when Andy asked me to do this, at first I was like, yeah, I can fill up pages and pages of stuff that I learned from my dad, and then you sit and actually try to think about it and list it out, and it's, it's not that easy. Um, and I think because less than, I mean, I could talk all day about, you know, he, he taught me to fish, he taught me to change a tire, he taught me how to properly shake hands and, you know, all of that sort of thing. But on a, I guess on a deeper level, on a spiritual level, those, those aren't things that you just write down or teach. There's not a, a class for that, right? And, and I've reflected on this some in terms of what is it I want to reproduce in my kids? Um, I think, you know, being a relatively new dad, I, I, you think about that stuff a lot more. Things you want to be like and things you don't want to be like, and you, you, you start dealing with your own kids and you realize, this is hard. You know, the, the, he used to say all the time that he would question um, all, often if he was a good dad. And that always sounded crazy to me because, of course, he was. You know, I always loved my dad. Um, but I can identify with that now, that it's, that it's difficult. Um, and you wonder if you're, if you're doing well. And I think this is why, too, because, again, the things you learn are less things you could list out, things you learn in class, things that you're tested on, and it's more... This, this accumulation of experiences and things that are modeled and things you don't even realize that you're picking up and learning until they start to happen in your own life. Um, and I think I tried to boil it down to two or three things. Um, the first is that he, my dad taught me and my siblings um, really just to love one another. And because he loved us, it made it easy. He created that environment. Uh, He and my mom, he taught us to love one another. He taught us to care for each other. He loved us unconditionally in a way that in that environment, you, you don't learn to love yourself, you just do. It's easy. There's a lot of value put on you and on other people. And in that sense, that's simple to me, but I grew, I grew to be very thankful of it because not till I became an adult and got around other people and had these experiences where I, it was foreign to me that people couldn't relate to God as a good father. And I never struggled with that, you know, and that's something that I'll, I don't want my kids to struggle with. I want them to easily make that correlation that God is good and that he loves us and that it's, that it's unconditional. And I want him to quit hitting his sister. I want him to love his sister. <laughs> of course, she's getting now where she's starting to give it back. And it's funny, he hits her and we freak out. You know, we're like, stop hitting your sister. And she hits him back and we just laugh. <laughs> um, you know, I think the, the second thing on the broadest level is 
he taught us what it looks like to just simply to trust God, to have faith. Um, there again, that, that wasn't something that I was aware of as a kid. And I can look back and realize, um, I mean, I was happy. I, I mean, I knew we didn't have a lot, but I was happy. But I look back now and realize that was really, really, really stressful, you know, for my folks. And they had opportunity to um, freak out all the time. Uh, and there again, that was something I didn't realize I was that I had picked up that I had learned because it wasn't it wasn't taught. My dad didn't sit there and go through the scripture and say, "This is why you should trust God. This is why this works," or "Here's how you pray about this." Um, we just, as an adult, I realized, you know, people get in these situations and they start to freak out. Like, uh, I'm gonna pick on my wife a little bit. When we when we were first together, we you know, situation would come up whether it be money or family or jobs or whatever, and she's over here just okay, we have to figure this out and this out and this out and this out. And what if this happens and what if that happens? What I'm like, and I look at her and say, you just need to relax. It's going to be fine. And that just makes her angry. She's like, how can you say that to me? Like, what world are you living in? What is your reality right now? Don't you see, you know, what is happening? And then I started to reflect on that and say, no, I've just learned innately things are going to be fine. That we just trust God. God's going to take care of us. And good or bad, he's in control. And... That's something I can, that I can thank my parents for, particularly my father. Um, and, and I want to instill that in, in my children. And I've run through this quick, so I, I have my, my last thing, my bonus thing. is This is kind of harder for me even to understand, but my dad taught me sort of the, the value and the safety of asking questions. Um, not just in faith, but particularly when it comes to faith, is that it's, not that it's okay even, but that it's good to probe and to ask questions. And this was something that um, I guess I never really felt like I needed to do until I went to college and I get in this environment where there's people of different faith backgrounds and different denominations and people are believing differently and practicing differently and I'm starting you know, my theology studies, and I'm getting exposed to information that I'm just like, what is going on? And it can be a, a big challenge because if you don't get over that hurdle of being able to, to feel good and safe about asking questions without feeling like it's, you, you're, you're compromising something in, you, in what you believe, then you can have a really tough time. And, I, and now I can see the difference. And I have several friends who got into that environment and what we would say lost their faith, right? And, and in some sense, they, they weren't anchored in something. They, they didn't have a foundation that could withstand doubt and asking questions and essentially the things that should make our faith strong at the end of the day. Um, and so I would call home, and I, would, I think I asked my dad the first thing. I was like, hey, what are the odds to you that everything we've been taught and everything that we believe in our little corner of the world is correct. He goes, oh, it's definitely not all correct. And I was like, you know, because I have some questions. And he said, well, let's talk about it. And we do that to this day. We talk, we argue, we debate. Um, But the value in that to me was not just him, but the the faith that he instilled in us, the the core value, the foundation, um, served as an anchor 
and still does for that journey. Um, something that I'm thankful for and something, again, that I hope to be able to, to instill in my kids. And I guess I'll wrap it up by saying that, again, there's, I just feel fortunate in the fact that uh, that makes it easy for me and it confirms for me, you know, the love of God. And that's, that's what I want to be able to show my children. Uh, my father-in-law, Josh's father, um, and, and here's, here's the truth, dads, is that um, being a good father is not about perfection. I'm not a perfect father. My father was not a perfect father. My father-in-law was not a perfect father. But when I think about the um, Hebrews 11, where the author of Hebrews just recognizes the whole of faith, it's filled with people, men, women, who, um, who are less than perfect, and the idea of being a good father and somebody who walks with the Lord or just being um, growing spiritually is not about perfection, but it's about rebounding. It's about rebounding. It's about falling back into the grace of Jesus. It's not about every step being perfect, but it's about staying in that place where if you fall, you get back up. And there's a very powerful principle that, that we all learn from that when, when we see that modeled. And I've certainly seen that model through my father-in-law, and he's a great father. He's a great father. We haven't always agreed upon everything, but he's always been in my corner. He's always been there to help me. And he is a great, a great father. And he's taught me what, it's mean, what it means to be a good father. I want to just wrap this up and share a few things about my dad. And um, it makes me a little sad because none of you got the privilege of knowing my father. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I'm a military brat, an Army brat. My dad was in the Army for 22-plus years, and um, we grew up there in that area of Washington, D.C. My parents originally are from Michigan, um, and so we were uh, not native uh, Washington, Washington uh, D.C.ans. I don't even know if that's the right term, so don't hold that against me, okay? Whenever I tell people I'm from Washington, D.C., they look at me with a little bit of disdain. They're like, mm, you're part of the problem. No, no, I'm not. It's just where my dad was stationed, okay? That's where we, that's where we, we, we live. We grew up in military bases. Uh, there's three things that just kind of stick out to me about um, some, some spiritual things that my dad taught me. And again, I can't echo this loud enough, is that these are not things that my dad in and of himself did. These are not things that my dad um, that, that I would say made him good. This is 100% the work of the Lord in my dad's life. And I'm explain that to you in a little bit. And, and the reason why I say that is because that offers grace. Um, dads, moms, parents, uh, whoever you are, whatever part of your journey you're in, it's, it, it is not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's not about your strength, your wisdom, your ability, nor is it about your failures. It is 100% relying upon the grace of Jesus Christ and trusting in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the, the first thing I want to talk about is this, is that my dad, and we heard this echoed through each one of these, uh, through Ronnie and Josh, but my dad taught me faithfulness to the Lord. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says this, a very familiar passage, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him. And he will make your paths straight. And there's three areas in particular that my dad taught me faithfulness to the Lord. And this is interesting because when we make this statement, faithfulness to the Lord, we think that's just a vertical thing, but it's really not. 
The first area, of course, was toward the Lord. And my dad was radically saved. I've told this testimony over and over again. Just a quick recap. He joined the military right after, as he got married to my mom in 1969, after he graduated from high school, was shipped off to Vietnam. He was in what was called the EOD, which is the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Group. If you've ever seen Hurt Locker, that's what my dad did. And he did that in Vietnam. But when he was in Vietnam, he didn't have uh, parents who knew the Lord. Uh, and so when he was in Vietnam, he had PTSD and he became an alcoholic. So when he came home, he came home in a bad way. But while he was away, my mom got born again and spirit-filled in a Methodist church during the Jesus renewal. Very powerful. But she would tell me stories that my dad would jump up in the middle of the night in just a sweat and put his hand through the wall. And that was before they diagnosed PTSD. And my dad struggled with this, but my mom tricked him into coming to church. <laughs> it's okay to trick somebody into coming to church, all right? If you know the Holy Spirit's going to be there, if we're just going to be honest. And in one, one evening, my dad gave his life to Jesus. He got set free from alcoholism. And he got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, like, this is really awesome. So it wasn't my dad. It was the Holy Spirit. But my dad carried this testimony with him as he served in the, in the, in the position that he was in his unit, which is a really great, amazing story. It makes me so proud that his unit was attached to the Secret Service. And so wherever the president went, there had to be somebody with the EOD, and it was my dad's unit that would go alongside of them because they would check hotels and conference rooms and even streets that the president would be on for bombs, and they had to be there in case there was a bomb threat. And on the day that Ronald Reagan, the attempt, uh, attempted assassination on his life, my dad was there. And if you've ever watched the footage of it, it's amazing. Ronald Reagan actually came out through an exit that he wasn't supposed to. The proximity wasn't set right. And so John Hinckley was able to come in and get close enough to unload a revolver. And ironically, what happened in that scenario was this. It wasn't the bullet wounds that injured uh, Ronald Reagan the worst. What happened was it was a bulletproof vest that shot a, a ricochet bullet up through his rib cage, And the crushing of the Secret Service jumping on top of him. But something else that happened that a lot of people forget is that James Brady was shot in the head at the same time. And my dad went to the hospital with James Brady and laid hands on James Brady and prayed over James Brady in the name of Jesus that his life would be saved. James Brady did not die that day. I'm not giving that credit to my father, but what I'm saying to you is that there is a principle in place that he had faithfulness to the Lord. And if you have faithfulness to the Lord, that it runs vertically, but it also runs horizontally. And he taught me that you carry that with you in your workplace. He had faithfulness to his wife. Marriage isn't easy. Marriage can be fun, and, 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 and it is great. But without the Lord, marriage is very difficult. And my dad and my mom put Jesus at the center of their marriage. I never one time saw my dad fight with my mom or even raise his voice to my mom. I never one time witnessed my dad do anything that was offensive toward my mom. Never one time did I even hear my dad use bad language or harsh language to my mom, to anybody. I never one time heard it. All I would do is watch him look at her and say, Karen, that was her name, what do you want to do? I'll do whatever you want to do. 
She was the love of his life. And they put Jesus at the center of their marriage. I watched my dad love my mom through thick and thin. Five years before my dad passed away, my mom had Lou, got Lou Gehrig's disease and she became invalid. She couldn't do anything. She was stuck to a wheelchair at 80 pounds. She couldn't move her neck. She couldn't move her eyes. She couldn't do anything. And I watched my dad love her and I saw what it meant. That when two people come into covenant, then they say, and we recite the vows of I've done over so many ceremonies, marriage ceremonies, and we say, till death do us part, I watched the faithfulness that my mom and dad had to the Lord stick through their marriage through thick and thin. And I want to tell you something. It burned a mark in me for my marriage. I watched my dad be faithful to his children. He wasn't perfect. My dad wasn't perfect by any means. But He cared for us. He disciplined us. He taught us. And He modeled what it meant to be faithful to the Lord. I have an alarm clock on the side of my bed that is my dad's. It's an old alarm clock. And I can remember every morning at 5 a.m. that alarm clock would come in and it was tuned into a radio station, WTOP in Washington, D.C. It was a news radio. And I would hear that go off every morning at 5 a.m. My dad was up. I'd also listen to it because sometimes it snowed and I'd listen for school closings. (laughs) But every day, my dad got up at 5 a.m. Every day. Every day. Every day. He modeled faithfulness. He modeled faithfulness. My dad didn't miss church. He never missed church. For any reason. We were always in church. He modeled faithfulness. And I'm not saying that as a harsh thing, but what I'm saying is this, is that it stuck in me, it became an important legacy in me, a spiritual principle, that if we say that we're faithful to the Lord, then we can't just go vertically, but we have to go horizontally. It has to be seen in our relationships. My dad also taught me what it meant to be loyal to your commitments, to be loyal to your commitments. In Luke 16.10 it says, Jesus gives this Very powerful principle, and he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. My dad served his country. I already told you about that. But I loved going to his unit with him in Fort Meade, Maryland. And that was when you could get onto the base. That's where NSA is, by the way. And I would go into this his unit, and my dad was a master sergeant. And that's, that's really good. It's the highest enlisted rank you could have before you become an officer. And my dad never opted to become an officer. He told me he didn't want to do it. And I understood when I walked into the unit what he was talking about. I loved going there because they had two things. Well, three things, really. They had a ping pong table. They had tons of snacks. And they had those glass bottles of Pepsi. Oh, they're so good with the little styrofoam. And anyways, I could just go and just get what I wanted. But when I walked into the unit with my dad, what I would see was this, is that I would see how much the the men who were under him would honor him. And of course they had to. They had to salute to him, but I would listen to the way that they talked to him. And I would listen to the way that my dad talked to them. And there was a loyalty there. There was a camaraderie there. He honored his commitment. But I didn't just watch that with uh, the people that were under him. I remember a few times when my dad, toward the tail end of his career, that we would go into these units and there would be these young lieutenants that would come up. And of course, my dad would salute them and they would salute back and they would pull them to the side and they'd say, Master Sergeant, I need help with this. 
And my dad would begin to instruct them. And there was a high level of honor and a high level of respect. And my dad took his commitments very seriously. My dad committed even to the smallest things that he did. I watched my dad serve in almost every capacity in the church. He was a deacon. He was an elder. But he also vacuumed the church every Saturday. And it was a big church. And sometimes I had to go with him. I loved and hated it. I hated it because I had to vacuum the church, but I loved it because we would go get a Slurpee at 7-Eleven afterwards. But we would go and he'd have a big vacuum on his back and he would do this. Whereas the church that I went to was an old elementary school and he had to buffer the floors with those big buffering machines that you see in the schools. And he did that unto the Lord. He honored his commitment. My dad even served in the nursery, believe it or not. This hardened uh, military guy served in the nursery. I have a really funny story of a time my dad and I got into a fight at the nursery. I was an adult, and I had my, my oldest, who was a baby then, Madeline, and we came and visited, my, went home to visit my parents, and we went to church. Well, I dropped my daughter off, Maddie, in the nursery while my dad was uh, doing check-in at the nursery that Sunday. So after church, I go back to get Maddie. Well, I didn't have my card to verify who I was. And I walked to my dad and I said, hey, I'm getting Maddie. He's like, where's your card? I looked at my dad like, are you crazy? It's your granddaughter and my daughter. Give me my kid. He's like, you're not getting your kid until you find that card. <laughs> Guess what happened? I found the card. <laughs> I found the card. I'm not kidding you. We talked about it afterwards and he told me that I was wrong. And I was. And what I learned is this, is this is that if you're not willing to serve the Lord in the smallest areas of your life, if you're not willing to humble yourself and serve and be faithful in the smallest commitments that you make, then you're not going to be entrusted by Him with the big things. But if you're willing to be entrusted and be loyal to the things that God has asked you to do in the smallest areas where they serve and they bless somebody else, then He will make you faithful over much. And I saw my dad in his life be honored over and over again with that. The last thing that I saw that my dad taught me was this, is how to be a good friend. How to be a good friend. In John 15, 13, Jesus speaks of himself and he says this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus was speaking of himself. He was speaking about what was to come. He was speaking about the crucifixion. But it also teaches us a very powerful principle is that the greatest act of love is unselfish and lays down its agenda and desires for others. And he taught me what it meant to be a good friend. He developed deep relationships, relationships that he had his whole life. When my dad passed away in 2004, he passed away exactly nine months after my, my mom. And we were having the funeral at the church. I witnessed as a line of men lined up when it came time for them to share a word. And they shared story after story after story of my dad's friendship, of my dad's loyalty to them, of his generosity, of his willingness to help them get ahead, to help them in an area, whether it was with a job, getting them to find a job. You have to understand that where we grew up, that the primary industry was military, but when men got out of the military, men and women got out of the military, it was difficult for them to find a job. 
And these guys would go to my dad as friends, and my dad would help them find a job. He would help them get ahead. He would be there in times when they were in difficult situations. Even through the bumpiness of disagreements, even through the frustrations that come in relationships, one thing I understand is this, is that you're not going to be a friend with somebody in this world without there being a disagreement without there being some bumpiness, but true friendship, godly friendship means this, that you're willing to lay down your opinion, your agenda, your desires, if God has brought two people into relationship that's significant. And I watched my dad do this. I watched my dad encourage and enrich other people's lives. There's probably not anything more that has taught me the love that my Heavenly Father has for me besides these three things. Because when I think about these things, and again, I'm going to say this over and over, this isn't a credit to my Father, but it's a credit to the work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life who is willing to honor the Holy Spirit. These three things taught me a very powerful truth. Is that my Heavenly Father, no matter how faithful I am to Him, He is more faithful to me. That my Heavenly Father, despite my commitment to Him, His commitments to me offer me a future and a hope. That no matter what kind of friend I can be, and I hope to be a good friend, an encouraging friend, a friend who promotes, that my Heavenly Father is the closest friend that I will ever have. I said this earlier, but I want to just speak this over you in just a second. We're going to pray for you dads. And then we're going to pray for healing. In 1 John 3.1, the scripture that I mentioned earlier today, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. This morning we have a wonderful opportunity as we honor fathers to reconnect into that that, that, that deep truth, the deepest truth, that we are loved by the Father and that His love for us is able to keep us, to hold us, to reassure us, to heal us, and to move us into a future and a hope. In order to do this, we have to connect into His love, that we have to trust Him as the good Father. And we have to, more importantly, allow Him to love us. Allow Him to love us. And this morning, fathers, mothers, men, women, children, whoever, the response that we have to give to the truth that we are children of God is this, is that we have to allow Him to love us. We have to open up our hearts and receive that love. In Romans 8, 14-16, it says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirits that we are children, God's children. What's that telling us? That we have an opportunity to open our hearts. And if the idea of fear around this topic has bound you, if the idea of an experience has bound you, or if the fear of letting somebody in 
keeps you from fully experiencing the love of God, today is the day that you need to open your heart. Why? Because the response of the Father is true and it's pure. He wants to love you. He wants to bring you into adoption and give you the understanding, the love that goes deep enough for your response to be Daddy God. Imagine that with me really quick. Let's try to get our hearts and our heads wrapped around that powerful truth that the Creator of all things, the holy and majestic God, the one whose knee that every knee will bow at, gives us the opportunity to look at Him and call Him Daddy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. Thank you, Josh. Those are beautiful stories. And fathers, each one of you are starting a beautiful legacy. You've begun a beautiful legacy. And this morning, my prayer for you, fathers, as we pray is this, is that you would focus on the things that you've done right. Josh made a good point. Dads, that sometimes, moms too, this is for you too, uh, moms, that you wrestle with, am I a good father? Am I a good mother? And my prayer for you is this, is that you would let that go and that the Holy Spirit would remind you of the things that you are doing that are building a legacy that are right. And that the Holy Spirit would empower you. Maybe you feel like there's just a little bit of a wall there that you desire to go a little bit deeper. Then the Holy Spirit will help you because again, it's not by your strength, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, listen, before we do that, just if you see a dad next to you, just stretch out your hand and, and if it's okay with them, then put your hand on their shoulder. Children, if you're next to your dads, just go ahead and stretch out to them. Father, thank you that we can call you that. Lord, I just declare your blessing over every dad in this place. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that the understanding of your love as their Father would just fill their hearts and begin to guide each one of us as we, Lord, seek to build a legacy and a, and a heritage, Lord, for our children, Lord, in our, in our workplace, in our, in our marriages, in our relationships with our children. That Holy Spirit, you would fill us to the place where if there is anything that we struggle with or anything that... Lord, there's a weakness that You would begin to fill us and give us the grace to do, that You would open up our mouths to speak the words of love that we need to speak, that You would guide us in the truth of who You are, that You would fill our hearts and our minds, Lord, with the truth of what You have put in front of us, that we would walk in faithfulness towards You. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for every father here that they would take Lord, today a step of faithfulness towards You. And as they step in faithfulness towards You, that they would be reassured that You are the sustainer, that You are the provider, that You are the author of their peace, the author of their joy, the author of their future. I thank You, Lord. I declare Your grace upon every one of them. I pray... Lord, that today that You would remind them that they're good fathers. That they're good fathers. That good isn't based on perfect. But good is based on faithfulness. That they're good fathers. And Holy Spirit, I pray today that You would fill 
Lord, these fathers' hearts, also with the revelation that their sons, that their sons and they're loved by their heavenly Father. I pray 